Well, good morning. Good to see everyone this morning. Let me pray for us and we'll get started this morning because I sure need his help, okay? Uh, Father God, we come before you this morning and uh, this morning help us to put Jesus right next to everyday life. Help us to put him right where we are to see how you can change our lives so we can help others as they see you for, for who you really are and not some made-up rendition of what, what we've made up over the years. So, so sit right next to us. Stand right next to us as we hear your word and become alive because you are alive. So we thank you for this time together in Christ's name. Amen. Well, for me also, happy Father's Day. Um, Mitch is out climbing a mountain. That's a good father's thing to do, a little manly thing to do. So I get to share with you today, which is a great deal for me. I, I love doing that. I'm the father of three children. I'm one year away from being an empty nester. Can you believe that? And uh, it's, it's, uh, I got to talk to you last time on Mother's Day, which was great because we talked about uh, what you do after church. You know, after Mother's Day, you go out and you have nice salads and you, you eat salads with folks. Well, it's Father's Day today. And so I want to show you what my backyard looks like. At, uh, that's what's going on at my backyard. So we're looking forward to that today. I know some of you guys are into that kind of stuff. Um, that's uh, what we're going to have uh, later on today at my yard. If you want to come over, we've got a little bit left over for you. Not much, but... Um, hey, it's an interesting journey, this, uh, this getting older bit. You know, I got to tell you also, I threw up my back yesterday, so if I'm sitting down and standing up, it's because it hurts. And uh, I would like to tell you I was working for my American Ninja Warrior workout, but that wasn't happening. I think I was taking a shower, and I just went, ow, you know. It just happens like that, you know. Um, but anyway, I found this little proverb that I thought was really true. It's true for my life. It's called living life in reverse. I want to read it to you. See if you can uh, see what you think about this. I want to live my next life backwards. I start out dead and get that right out of the way off the bat. I wake up in a nursing home feeling better every day. And when I'm kicked out of the home for being too healthy, I'll spend several years enjoying my retirement collecting benefit checks. When I start work, I'll get a gold watch on my first day. I'll work for 40 years or so, getting younger every day until pretty soon I'm too young to work. So then I will go to high school, play sports, date, and party. As I get younger, I'll become a kid again. I'll go to elementary school, play, have no responsibilities. In a few years, I will become a baby where everybody will run themselves ragged just trying to keep me happy. Finally, I'll spend my last nine months floating peacefully in a luxury in a spa-like conditions with central heating and room service on tap. Pretty good deal, right? Living life in reverse. You know, as I work through these, these, these middle-aged years that I'm going through, um, I, I read something like that, and I kind of go, I'd like to have life again over. I'd like to do it over again because I would probably do things a lot differently than I do now. I'd probably uh, live my life differently. I'd do things differently. One of the things for sure in relation to my Christian journey is what I would do is I would probably share Christ differently than I did years and years ago when I first became a Christian. I, I would, uh, because I understand him more. Matter of fact, one of my mentors in my 20s said this statement to me, and, and I never understood it, and now that I'm getting older, I start to understand it more and more over the years. And he said this, it's great when Christians come to Christ. What? It's great when Christians come to Christ. But now I'm starting to understand that. You know, when you get to a point and you kind of go, now I'm starting to see him for who he really is. As you get older and you work through things like that, you start to understand who he is and how he acts in your life, and you throw away the, the junk that you've kind of piled in your life beforehand, and you start to see him for who he truly is. 
And uh, that's been an important statement to me because as Christ, as I got older, Christ has revealed himself to me more and more for who he really is. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at who he really is. But, you know, before I do that, I want to share a little bit with you just about who I am. You've seen me up here for 16 years or so leading worship if you've been around that long. And uh, you probably don't know my background to some extent. So let me give you a little bit of history here. Um, I grew up here in Houston and I grew up going to church my whole life. And I learned about who God was, and I learned about Jesus, but you know what? I couldn't stand it. I hated church. All the way through high school, I, I was just frustrated, and I, I'd, I'd go to stuff, and it was just boring to me, you know? And I couldn't understand it for anything in the world. My hobbies back then were like football was what I loved more than anything else. And, and as I got towards my senior year, uh, football was ending. I had, uh, my girlfriend was, that we were breaking up there. I didn't know where I was going to college. And my group of friends that I'd been with for all these years playing football, that was kind of dissolving as we're getting ready to go our own way. And I was living my life pretty wild, actually. I was doing a lot of crazy things and stupid things. And uh, I remember this uh, bunch of people started coming to me and saying, hey, Mark, why don't you come to this meeting? And I said, well, what meeting are you talking about? They go, it's called Young Life. I said, well, what's that? And they go, well, it's this meeting we meet on Monday nights. And I kind of, what do they do? Well, they talk about God in kind of a way that we can understand. I said, nah, not for me, not for me. Well, how many people are there? I said, ah, there's probably 150 to 200, 250 people. It was huge back then. And I said, really? Come with us. And I said, nah, I don't want to come with you. They go, there's lots of pretty girls there. I said, I'll be there. So, um, so it was a Monday night, and it, I went to Westchester High School over here, and we met right around the corner. And I didn't know what to expect, and I walked into this room, and there was 150, 200 kids, uh, students, all from my high school sitting there, and this guy who I'd, I'd heard his name before, and he's, I'd seen him around campus, his name was Kim, and he started, uh, we sang a bunch of songs, just crazy, stupid songs, were just fun to sing, and we started singing some, you know, some nicer, melodic songs, a little more Christian themes to them, and uh, then he gave, did a stupid skit, and somebody got a pie in the face, and... I thought that was really cool to abuse people. That was really neat. So, and then after that, he gave a message, and he started sharing about Christ and who he is. And he, he shared in a way that I could understand. He started talking about the fact of who the person of Christ was, who, who he really was. And he talked about our sin. And then he talked about the cross. And I knew all this stuff. I heard it in, in all my Sunday school classes, and, but it never became real to me until he started talking about that. And he said, you know, if you were the only person to ever have been on this earth, that Jesus Christ would have died just for you. And I said, wow, that's just interesting. I never heard that before in my life. I kept coming back and kept coming back because of the girls, and it was kind of fun, and I started getting to know the leader. Uh, his name was Kim, and started spending time with him, and it was just a great experience. It was a lot of fun, you know? And, um, and then he shared one time, I, was, I remember sitting where I was sitting exactly. He was sitting in uh, Sharon and I was sitting on the floor. They threw out carpet squares. And we'd sit on the floor. They'd throw out songbooks. We'd sing. And we'd throw them at everybody. And he started sharing about Christ and what he did on the cross. And he said, you know what? Do you know where you would be if you died tonight? Do you know for sure you would spend eternity with God or where you'd spend eternity? I had no clue. For religion was just religion to me. It wasn't relationship. It wasn't about getting to know the Savior. It was about just religious rules and regulations and doing stuff because you had to do it. There was nothing else to it but that for me. But he started sharing this way, and I said, you know what? I have no idea if something happened to me where I'd be tonight. And he said, if you place your trust in Jesus, that's all you got to do is place your trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross for you. You can know for sure tonight, 100%, that you will be with him if you die tonight. 
And he started talking about this Jesus, and it became so relational to him. He says, it's not about religion. It's about relationship. It's not about all these things you have to do or how good you can be or all these rituals you have to go through. It's simply about a relationship with a living God who wants to spend time with you. And I said, you know what? I want that. And I remember sitting in that room, and I gave my life to Christ uh, when I was 17 years old. And my life has never stopped changing from that point on. It's not been an easy road, but it's been difficult, but it's been a wonderful journey in faith. And so I, I went to college, and I got out of college, and I went on, um, I came out of college, was singing some, and I decided, you know what, I want to go on Young Life staff. I want to share Christ with high school kids the same way that, they, uh, that it was shared with me. So I got a few pictures up here just to show you. I don't know how that got up there. That's, that's not supposed to get in there. Um, yeah, the next one. Um, yeah, see, that's me when I was young, right, before I throw it back. Next one. See, I hung out with high school kids and got to spend great time with them. And I think there's one more in there, maybe. I don't know. Yep, one more. Uh-oh. Yep. <laughs> um, it was fun stuff, and that's what we did back then. We just kind of hung out and did crazy things with kids. And um, the reason I'm sharing this with you is because what we're talking about in this series that we're going to discuss here in a minute is really evangelism. It's how to share your faith with people. And um, Young Life trained me how to do that, trained me how to be an evangelist. And let me say this off the top. I do not have the gift of evangelism. I have shared Christ with hundreds upon hundreds from up front, but I have probably shared Christ one-on-one with people, maybe 20 people probably in my lifetime. It's not, it hadn't been a lot. So I don't have this gift uh, that just goes out there and shares Christ and can do it um, very easily, and, and it's not who I am. Uh, but I was trained in how to do ministry and how to do uh, evangelism. Let me show you the four C's that were trained us to do ministry. And I want you to help. These are just awesome uh, tools for you to use and to put in your bag. The first one that we talked about was contact work. And this is the hardest one we did in Young Life. Contact work was this. It was my job to do hard work. And that hard work meant going to the high schools when the bell was out and sitting by the buses and just meeting kids. And that was hard. I remember sitting in my car some days and praying, going, I don't want to do this. I have no desire to get out there and stand in front of a bunch of kids and look like an idiot, right? But eventually, over time, I started meeting kids, meeting kids, meeting kids. And, and we had a big Young Life Club that got, we got involved with all these kids. And I would meet their friends and meet their friends. And it was simply c- contacting or connecting with their friends. And the phrase we used is, it was our desire to earn the right to be heard, Right? It was our desire, so we just didn't go in throwing scripture at them and that kind of stuff. It was earning the right to be heard by them. Once we had a friendship, they would listen to us. Once they know we cared about them as people, they would care for us, and they would listen to us with some kind of credibility. And so the first thing was contact work. The second one was club, and that was, uh, we would get, get us all together. Like I said, we'd sing songs, throw pies, all that kind of stuff. And that happens over here in the middle. Did you know that? On uh, Monday night, Cinco Ranch Young Life meets over there with anywhere from 60 to 150 kids. And they do the same thing that we've been doing all these uh, Young Life's been in existence about 60 years. And they get together and they have club. And our, our key phrase there is really come and see. So once you build a relationship with people, the desire is, you know, come and see. And that's what they did for me when I was in high school. Come and see this, this, this guy we're talking about and let him share with you a few words about who Christ is. And that's very penetrating in a person's life. The, the third C was camp. Now, Young Life has some of the greatest camps in the world around the United States. I don't know how many they have now and around the world. But what we're trying to do there is build shared experiences with people. You know, if you build common shared ground with folks 
and you have shared common experiences, be that going fishing, going camping, what we're talking about today, eating together, you start building relationships with people, we now have the ability to start, these relationships start getting deeper and deeper because we have common ground, we've done stuff together. That's what we should be spending time today on that topic. The last thing we do in the four seasons was called campaigners, and that was an old-timey phrase for Bible study. So after they came to Christ, we would, we would usher them into a Bible study and grow them deeper in their faith. And that was our ministry of young life, and it's still very practical today, and it's something we should do and, and, and participate in in our evangelical efforts. But this morning, we're, looking, we're continuing in a series called Bless, and that Bless series is one that we're doing along with other churches in the area right now. And it's really an acronym, and it means this. The first B means begin with prayer. Mitch has talked about that. The second one he talked about last week, listen with care. The third one we're talking about today is eat together. The fourth one is S for the blessed, and it's serve in love. And the last S is share your story. But today I have the privilege of talking about eating, which I enjoy doing. Um, yeah, amen, right? <laughs> so let me give you an umbrella how this all comes together. And it's under the, the definition of a hospitality or Christian, Christian hospitality. And here's the definition. Hospitality is the creation of free space for a person. It wants to create a friendly emptiness where people can't enter, providing an opportunity for our guest to bump into Jesus. That's all we're trying to do in, our, in, our, in being hospitable with people. Giving them an opportunity, an open, free opportunity for them to somehow bump into Jesus. You know something, Jesus was criticized a lot. And if you, if you really look at the scriptures and the gospels and what he was criticized for, you know what he was criticized for? Eating and drinking with sinners. That was probably his number one condemnation, what they came down on him for, the Pharisees back then. It's probably a good goal for you and I to want to be criticized for the same thing that Jesus was criticized for, don't you think? So what I want to look at this morning is the calling of Levi. He was a... Um, tax collector, and I want to read the story to you. We'll put the scripture up here. It's, it's Luke chapter 5, 27 through 33, if you have a Bible or device and you want to look at that. Let's uh, read this together, okay? After this, this is Jesus, uh, talking about Jesus, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at the disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. Now, the problem we have, I think, in our culture is we read through these scriptures. You all probably read that story many times before. We don't stop. We kind of go on to the next passage in scripture. We don't stop and look at this guy and think about what he is and what he was going through and all the things in life. We just kind of story after story and blow through the scriptures. This is a regular guy, just like you and me, no halos, no nothing, and if you start thinking, this isn't in the scripture, but I'm going to put some stuff back there because I think this probably is what happened with this guy. This guy, Levi, grows up in a Roman culture, right? Rome has come in and has conquered the areas all around the, the, the given world, so to speak, 
And they have, they have raped, they have pillaged, they have stolen everything they could possibly steal, and they've got everything they want. So what they do is they set up garrisons, or Roman garrisons, in all these cities just to keep the peace down, and they oppress these people, and they push them down by taxation and by martial law and all these things. And Levi lives in this environment growing up, right? Being oppressed and pushed down, looking at the government, frustrated with them because these Romans have all the stuff, right? And, and he's poor, and probably it, it, his parents are probably poor. And he lives within this system. And then you have another system that kind of comes under that, undergirds that. And that's the system, the, the religious system, that of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were basically the religious cops of the day, right? They were to beat people over the heads and told them they weren't doing good. They carried little um, bags around their, their wrists called phylacteries that had scripture verses in them. They dressed in real nice robes. They taxed you when you came to the temple. They did all these kind of things and they pressed people down and they put law after law after law after religious thing on these people. They took the Levitical law and they just extended it to the point where God's going, I never said that. Where are you coming up with that for? And they just threw these laws on people because they were trying to be holy and separate. And they, pushed, they put this on the people and they pushed them down and they pushed them down. I'm sure Levi grew up in that environment and said, man, I do not like these guys at all. I do not care for them, what they're doing to my family, what they're doing to my kin. I just don't like them. Who would? But that's the system they're growing up in. That's all he knew. But he knew something wasn't right. And I think about Levi, and I think about high school kids today and growing up in an environment with friends. He probably didn't have a, a lot of good relationships in school. And then when he got out as a boy, uh, out of school and became a man in the Jewish culture, he had to do something. And he looks at this culture. He looks at the religious system, and he says, you know what, I don't have any friends. Don't really care for my parents that much. I don't like this system, but at least they're having fun. Right? So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sign up and become a tax collector. You know what that means? That means that he is exiled from the temple and the synagogue. He can't be there. His countrymen and his fellow Jews would have pushed him out and said, you're, you're filth, you're dirt, because you're taxing your own people. And his friends disowned him. Why? Because he was taxing them. Here's the Roman system. You, hey, Levi, I need this much money. And whatever you get over that is yours to keep. I don't care. Take it to them. And so they would put tax booths or tax stations in different parts. It could be on a road. It could be on a bridge. It could be someplace where as the people were pinched into a certain area, they were taxed. And so Levi became a very wealthy person. And he got to hang out with other friends who happened to be tax collectors because no Jew is going to hang out with a guy who's taxing their people uh, out of their lives pretty much. And he got to hang out with the prostitutes and the sinners. You think about this. Almost, if not, almost every time in the, in the Gospels when the word sinners is mentioned, it's always surrounding, almost always surrounding, a sexual sin. It's almost always talking about prostitution or some kind of sexual sin. And that's who Levi was hanging out with. Prostitutes and sinners. Because why? That's the same group. They all hung out together. They were all in the, doing the same stuff to people. And that was their fellowship group. So Levi hears about this, this, this Jesus guy, you know, because he was going around, he was healing people, he was doing miracles, the crowds were following, and I bet he thought, what a great opportunity to tax some people. And there's Jesus, and there's a big crowd of people, and they're following him, and they're coming to my tax booth. I'm going to get them. 
this is going to be a lot of money for me. And Jesus walks up to that tax booth and looks in Levi's eye in the way that only a true Savior can do and said, follow me. And something in Levi's heart, something in this vacuumed hole in his heart said, yes, I want that, not the life I've been living. And he gets up and he follows Jesus. Now stop there. The next part is he throws a party. But wait a minute here. He just didn't throw a party there. He said, Jesus, Jesus, wait, 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 wait. I want to throw a party. Cool, throw a party. He says, it's going to take me a while. I've got to go get all my friends. He goes and runs around the whole neighborhood, gets all his tax collector friends. He goes and runs around the bad parts of town, gets all his prostitute friends and, and people like that. He says, come to my house. We're going to have a big party. And there in the midst of his house, after a period of time, Levi comes together with all his tax collector friends and all his sinners and all the women that were prostitutes of that day, and they're sitting there, and amongst the beer cans and stogies, there sits Jesus. Not in a chair, they're laying down, you know, back in the Mideast, they laid down on pillows and kind of their, put their hand up here, and they ate, they still do that today. That's why they washed feet, because your feet were in somebody else's face. After walking in the desert all day, you'd wash your feet. And so you came into a house, and they were, they're reclining there, and they're sitting there, and who's looking in the room? But the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious cops of the day, and they said, they didn't say this, they started thinking this. Don't you know, Jesus, who you're eating with? Well, that's not a good thing to do because Jesus is God and he knows what you're thinking. And he says, wait a minute here. Don't you understand that I didn't come for those people who are well? I came for those who are sick. See, you Pharisees and you Sadducees, you think you got it all together. You think that because of your rules and your regulations and your religions, you got it all put together, right? Good for you. I didn't come for you. I came for these people because they realize that there's something wrong and they need something in their lives. And Matthew throws this party for them. And, and forgive me if you disagree with me, but it wasn't a Christian party, right? They don't know any different. And Jesus is sitting there and this, these, these, I can just see them peering in the door. Look at that. You know who's in that room? There's Elvira, <laughs> you know? There, there's the local prostitute. There's the other tax collectors. They're all sitting there with Jesus, and he's just chucking it up and laughing with them and sitting there. He's, he's not reading the Bible or doing Bible stories. or He's just hanging out with them, eating dinner. And you know what's so good about that story? Some things that I, I just learned from that after, when I read that is that, first of all, Jesus can't win with religious people. They, they say, you're not religious enough, Jesus, you know? You're not acting the way you're supposed to act according to religion. And I think Jesus looks back to him and says, you know what? You say life in God is a funeral dirge. I say life is a party, and I'd rather party with sinners than a bunch of you guys that think you got it all together. I heard one person say this, Jesus came to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comforted. I like that, right? Luke 7, 33 through 34. Look, look at this passage here. I think it's amazing if you stop and read it. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You see, if there's lost and broken, messy people, you'll find Jesus because Jesus likes to, Jesus likes to pay, uh, party with pagan people. They're a lot more honest. You ever notice that? If people don't know you're a believer and you get in a room with them, 
They just kind of are who they are. They, they don't know any different. But once they find out, for example, that I'm a pastor or I'm a worship leader, oh, they start cleaning up their language. They start doing all this kind of stuff. I hate that. I don't want people to know who I am because I just want to be there with them just like they are. Because people are honest, and that's what, what Matthew's crowd was like. They were just honest and sincere in who they were. They were sinful. Absolutely they were. But Jesus wants to come in and just be with them. And when you eat with people in the New Testament, in the, when you say, I want to dine with you, that means I want to be your friend. Have you ever thought that about Jesus? That he wants to be your friend? Have your neighbors ever thought that about Jesus, that he wants to be your friend? Or do they just have this garbage piled onto them about the religious institutions and all this stuff and rules and regulations instead of a, a, a Messiah who comes in and says, I want to be with you today. I just want to hang out with you. Let's have some food and talk and be together. This, uh, another passage, Luke 19, 10 says this, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That word save actually is the word, Greek word sozo, and it really means to pull back from the brink of destruction. We just sang a song that talks about uh, Jesus leaving the 99 for the one because it's, it's like the image of sheep on a cliff and you're just pulling them back because they're getting ready to die. And Jesus came to do that, to seek and save the lost. Let me give you an illustration, though. You're out with your kids. They're young or whatever age. They're riding their bike and they fall off their bike. Compound fracture. Those are messy, right? Bone comes through. It's, it's not good. And you rush your kid. You put them in a car and you rush them to the hospital. And you say, my kid fell off the bike. They got a compound fracture. They're bleeding everywhere. And they look at you and they go, Oh, that's a mess. You're bleeding on my floor. I tell you what you do. Take your son home, get him all cleaned up, wrapped up, then bring him back here and we'll take care of him. Sometimes that's our image of the Christian faith and what our friends and neighbors have around us of the Christian faith. That they, the church wants something pure and honest and sincere. They don't want real, honest people who are struggling sinners. Let me ask you this question, something for you to think about. Is the church a hospital for sinners, or is it a hotel for saints? Is the church a hospital for sinners or a hotel for saints? Work with that one a little bit. Jesus was 100% truth. He's 100% grace, grace, perfectly harmonized together. Jesus never says ever that sin does not matter. Matter of fact, it cost him his life. Sin does matter. But Jesus is saying to Levi, he says, you know what, I want to hear your story. I tell you this, I can't find one, and tell me if you can, you can, come up to me and share this with me. I can't find Jesus yelling at one prostitute or sticking his finger in the chest of one tax collector. He does not kick any people out except who? The religious Pharisees and Sadducees out of the temple. Here's the question. Does anybody need a Jesus who is lecturing them and telling them how disappointed he is in them? You you see, I know my life and how jacked up it is. I do. You probably do also. And what we need is Jesus to come beside us, walk beside us and tell us how it got that way and help us through that stuff. I am very familiar with amazing guilt and amazing shame and amazing anguish and amazing fear, but amazing grace says, I know you're sinful and we will work through that together and I want to walk with you through your sinfulness. So let me ask you a question. What do you think Jesus would say to you if he walked up to you in your tax booth? 
and that's metaphorically speaking, what's in your tax booth? What kind of sins are in your hall closet? What would he say to you if he walked up to your tax booth? What do you think he'd say to you? In the 21st century, the way we take notes is by cameras. If you want to do that, I want you to pull out your camera, take a picture of this next screen. So I'd like you to think about this through the week. If not, that's fine. Here it is. Three responses, Jesus walking up to your tax booth. Tell me what he would say to you and what you think. Number one, I can't believe you would do that again after you promised me you would stop. Or maybe this response, you need to work harder to remove that sin from your life. Or this third one, hey Mark, we'll get there. Takes time, we'll get there. Sin does matter, but Jesus accepts us, accepts us the way we are, not the way we should be. He accepts us just like we are. He says, once you were a Levi, and now you're a Matthew. And Matthew became one of the disciples and wrote the gospel of Matthew, this tax collector. Here's the question that Jesus asked us. Do you want to link arms and walk through life together? He offers friendship, forgiveness, and hope, and that was what we are to offer our neighbors. Friendship, forgiveness, and hope. So I'm thinking the other day, and this is a heavy thought, very philosophical, so thank you very much for, for this. Here you go. What do we all have in common with our neighbors? What's the common denominator with all people? And this is a heavy one. I know y'all probably hadn't gone there before. Here it is. I thought, it just came to me. Life. <laughs> thank you very much. And I thought about this. We all have struggles. We all have challenges. We all have health issues. We all lose loved ones. But at the very least, Jesus offers hope and healing to this world and in the next. At the very least. Because every one of us, our neighbors included, go through the same thing. It's no different for you or me and, and our neighbor. We go through the same stuff. But we let them to bump into Jesus. They can see there's hope in this world. There's hope in the world afterwards. So how does that all apply to this blessed strategy we've been talking about? What we're talking about is the, the, the process of spiritual formation. And, and that's a technical word. Let me tell you what spiritual formation means. It's the ongoing process of taking untrue, destructive ideas and images of God and replacing them with the visible image of the invisible God, Jesus. What we're trying to do, and I, I've got this term I throw around, kind of the Katie theist. All around my street and my neighborhood are people that acknowledge God, right? I mean, they, they don't deny God. They're not really atheists, and they might be agnostic in a sense, but they, they acknowledge some kind of God. But their, their views are so warped of who Jesus is. They're, they're, they've been oppressed by religion instead of relationship. Rules and regulations and laws have pressed them down. They kind of go, I don't want that. And our job to, is to spiritually form in their lives a true image of who Jesus is. And how do we do that? We get to eat with them. How hard is that? Let me give you a, a couple quick ideas on how to do that. The first one is intentional discipleship, to be more like Jesus. Discipleship is a process whereby one person becomes more like another person. The ultimate goal in life is to become more like Jesus. This involves letting God work inside our lives and changing our lives so it aligns with his grace and truth so we can share that with others. So the first process in evangelism is becoming more like Jesus ourselves. Understanding who Jesus is, 
understanding his character, and becoming more like him. Someone once said this, uh, one of the greatest miracles of the Holy Spirit is taking a self-absorbed, sin-enslaved rebel and turning them into a Christ-exalting bondservant. Isn't that great? You ever had those people in your journey that you said, there's no way they're coming to Christ? There's no way. And life, something happens and it changes and they give their life to Christ and they become these servants of God and you kind of go, wow. The second one is this, being an authentic community, living in a me too environment. Our culture is taking that term out of context now with the sexual assault thing, but uh, it means this, living life together in a safe me too community is the best opportunity for pursuing truth and grace through intentional discipleship with Jesus. You know what we got to do? We need to stand next to our neighbors and kind of go and listen to their story. Mitch talked about that last week, listening. Listen to their story and kind of go, you know what? Me too. I'm no different than you. I might have been saved years and years ago, but you know what? My life is just as jacked up and messed up, and God is helping me through that stuff. That's it. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, friendship is born at the moment when one man says to another, what, you too? I thought no one but myself. You say he's living in that me too environment. Yeah, I'm, I'm just like you. I'm no different. There's only one effective way to interest people in Christianity, and that is to expose them to a person whom they, they can identify and a person who is finding hope and meaning in Jesus Christ. Evangelism is about you finding hope and meaning in Christ and letting people bump into that. Another thing we're going to talk about in just a second is gifted service, purpose and personality. What this means is we're committed to being the kind of people who reflect both the purpose and the personality of Jesus by leveraging the gifts Jesus has given us for the benefit of others, both inside the church and outside the church. What are your gifts, man? What are you good at? I know there's some men here who could smoke meat that is just unbelievable. Steve and Justin, I mean, you're, you guys are awesome. You smoke something in your backyard, people will come. And the fire apartment, mostly. You know, they will come. Women, what can you do? What are your gifts? Just fun things you can do that you could share with your neighbors. What are your gifts? What's your purpose? What's your personality? Use it. God seems to be offering to use weak men and women who feel inadequate and incomplete to demonstrate in their own courage a vulnerable kind of love and understanding that the world seldom sees in the strong and mighty ones. Next is relational evangelism. You know, when we were doing Young Life, and I was working with high school students, it was just this. It was going to meet these folks and saying, hey, come and see. Come on, come and see. Because of what Jesus has done for us, the most loving thing we can do for others is to go to them and invite them to come and see who Jesus is and what he has done for them. Levi said to his fellow tax collectors and prostitutes, hey, come and see. He didn't define the whole doctrine of the Trinity and say, you got to come see this, you got to come hear this. Come and see Jesus. This guy came up to me, and I don't know what it is about this guy. He looked at me and he said, Follow me, and I don't know, guys, but there's something in my life. i got to follow this guy. I'm giving up all this stuff. I'm coming to see this guy, and I want to know who he is. I want to know what he's about. Next one is excellent environments. 
an opportunity to bump into Jesus. Using our spiritual gifts, talents, and abilities, resources, and passions, and creativity, it's our role and responsibility to create an excellent environment and eliminate any or all obstacles so that people have the best opportunity to encounter or to bump into Jesus so that he can do only what he can do. That's all easy stuff, guys. It's not about you being this great evangelist. It's about you just sharing your life with people, saying, me too, look, I could smoke a brisket, come on over and have some, and letting them bump into Jesus. So what are some practical ways we can do that in our church and in our homes? I want to give you a couple that my family has used. All right? The first one, this has been a great one, and it's a top secret, so I'm really sharing something I shouldn't be sharing, but you can go to Sam's Club, and you can go back to the counter where they serve the pizza and stuff, right? And you can get a case of dough balls. It's like 25 of them for 12 bucks. And you know what we do? We just make pizza all the time. We invite our neighbors over. Our kids invite their friends over. We let them make pizzas. We all ask for specialty ideas. And we have people come over and just make pizza. It's great. Everybody loves pizza, right? I mean, unless you put sardines on it or something, it's gross. But, you know, but, and you buy this dough, and if you don't know how to make pizza, figure it out. I mean, it's not too tough. You just kind of roll it out and throw some stuff on it, and, and it's great. It's a great opportunity to do that. Go to Sam's Club, go to the back pizza place and say, you know what, uh, I want a case of dough balls. And they'll give you a case of dough balls. And matter of fact, when you don't make pizza, you can make rolls, hamburger buns, you can do all kinds of great stuff with it. So there's a top secret idea for you that we use in our family. The second one is this. That's a lot of cookie dough. And matter of fact, most of the time it doesn't get made into cookies. It gets eaten as dough in my house, mostly by me. Um, <laughs> just make cookies. You make tons of cookies and have people come over. So what we've done for you, my wife last night made two buckets of cookies, and when you leave the service today, they're out in the back. So please grab them, because I do not want to take them home. So as, as many cookies as you want to grab, take them out there. Hey, these are some real simple ideas, right? And you probably have a lot more than that. But I just want to give you two simple ones. Eat together. Do stuff together. Have fun together with your neighbors. At our house on uh, Memorial Day and Fourth of July and Labor Day, we put a table out in our driveway and put a little small grill out there. And we throw hamburgers out there and the neighbors come from around and it's become a, an annual thing. We just sit around and talk and hang out and hear stories. It's a great opportunity to get people on your street, you know, to come and, and just be there. And we invite new neighbors, they come over and they say, hey, listen, I know we're all kind of weird and strange, but come and hang out on our, on, our, on our driveway and have a hamburger. What's so hard about that? You don't have to talk a lot, just sit there and grill. It's, it's awesome. You know the reason that most people don't go to church or um, get involved with Christians? It's because they've been there and they've done it before. And people have just turned them off. Ray Steadman said this, Church people complain that people are out playing golf and boating on Sunday mornings, but until their church recovers the joy and excitement of the wedding feast and people are gladsome of heart, then they cannot be blamed for not coming. Let me tell you one story and I'll close. A friend of my, our family's in the neighborhood, goes to a great church here in the Katy area, and uh, he came over one day, was talking to us, and he said, did you know what's going on on our street? And I said, no, what's going on? He says, um, we, we had a, a neighbor that moved in to our street, and 
there was always weird activity happening at the house. Weird stuff going on. And we knew something was up. Neighbors knew something was up. Cops were coming time to time and going and leaving. Until one day, about three cops pulled up with their lights on. They pulled up to, the, to them and they took the kid and arrested him and pulled him out of the house for drug dealing. So Chris said, you know what? Um, most of our neighbors, we kind of talked and everybody just kind of goes back to their house and closes their door and doesn't want to talk to these people. He went to his junior high daughter and he said this. He said, let's make him some cookies. And he never met these people before. So him and his daughter made a plate of cookies and they walked over to the house and they knocked on the door and they said, hi, we're your neighbors and you don't know us and um, we know it's been a hard day for you. We just want to make you some cookies. They gave it to him. People said thank you and they closed the door. And they went home. They didn't share the gospel. They gave them the opportunity to bump into Jesus. Here's a neighbor right around the corner who cares about us where the rest of the neighbors are hiding. But there's something about this guy that cared about us and his daughter of all people because you don't want to bring your daughter around the house where there's drug dealing but he took her with her. What, what a great picture and what a great a learning lesson for her. You know? I want to be like that and it's hard sometimes because contact work is hard. It's difficult. Let me pray for us. Well, just uh, bow your head and close your eyes for a second and, and I want you to think about a couple things. Um, what would Jesus say to you if he walked up to your tax booth? You know, would he say, I want to be your friend or I'm disappointed in you? And um, maybe you're here today and you don't know this Jesus that we're talking about. He's just a myth, a legend, some story you've heard. And yeah, you might believe the myth and legend, but that's all it is, is a myth and legend. If something tragic were to happen to you today, do you know where you'd be for eternity? together with him or separated from him forever. All he calls us to do, like I did some 50, 40, 40 years ago, is to place my trust in Jesus for salvation. Not my good works, not going to church, not how religious I am, but placing my trust in Jesus. And you have that opportunity today to just say, I place my trust in Jesus for my salvation, nothing else, because I can never be good enough to get to heaven. You just have to say that in the quietness of your heart. Just like I did in that little room many, many years ago. Father, we thank you that you don't, you don't stick your finger in our chest and condemn us. Although we know our, that our sin cost you your life, you never say it's okay. You just say, I died for that. Help us to extend our friendship to others by simply offering our neighbors fellowship and hospitality and the opportunity to bump into Jesus. For the work is all yours, Lord. It's not ours, and that's good news. We don't have to do anything. We just got to let them see Jesus. So we ask you to change people's lives like you did um, Levi's. Change our lives, for we once were Levi's, and now you call us Matthew. And we see you face to face. So uh, would you give us the opportunity with our neighbors would you open up our kitchens? Would you open up our smoke pits? Would you open up our driveways for people around to walk up and to encounter Jesus just by bumping into someone who knows him? We thank you for Levi and his story because he's now a Matthew 
and his heart was changed. We thank you for the lives of this room, the people who have changed, who do great things for other folks in their neighborhood. May they have that opportunity to share one day who you are and have people place their trust in you for their salvation. It's in your name we do pray. Amen.